0: Welcome to The Chapel Online. At The Chapel, we're about helping people meet, know, and follow Jesus on the campus, in the city, and around the world. Currently, we are going through the book of Daniel, where our theme is, we can live with courage because of our confidence in God, no matter what chaos we face. Hey everybody and happy Father's Day to you. Now I want to celebrate starting today with a little dad joke just for you. Do you know what the difference between the black eyed peas and chickpeas are? One can sing us a song and the other one can just hum us one. You might have to be under the age of 40 to get that. And even if you don't, it's okay, because I'm gonna celebrate Father's Day with something even better than a dad joke. It is a picture of my little girl, Abigail, who allows this to be my first Father's Day. I know she's not wearing her seatbelt in the car. We were not moving. Don't call the cops, anything like that. We just wanna celebrate Happy Father's Day to you and yours. Now today, as we continue in our series of Daniel, we're gonna be talking about a little bit of shock and a little bit of comfort. Back whenever I was in college, one, I like to drive really fast, and I still like to drive really fast. I'm trying to repent of it, move forward. But I was coming home from college one day, and I had one of those, um, what is called the redneck obnoxious trucks. It was a black Ford F-150, four-wheel drive. I had a jacked up 35 by 12 and a half inch tires with the rims and the straight pipes and, and all the things. Like basically, the kid in your neighborhood that wakes you up, I was Well, I was coming back home one day, and I was cruising at about 75 when I thought it was a 65. And again, I repent all state troopers and policemen out there. And then all of a sudden, I see blue lights behind me, and this state trooper pulls not only just me over, but also the car in front of me over. And it was at that moment I realized I wasn't doing 75 and a 65. I was doing 75 and a 45 because Highway 167 was under construction at that point in time. And needless to say, I was in shock. I was in fear, I was absolutely scared to death until I realized who had pulled me over. It wasn't just a state trooper, it was a state trooper from my hometown who I knew. And my shock all of a sudden went from just shock and fear to absolute comfort. Now he did tell me that it was lucky for the other guy that he knew me because he got out of a ticket as well, but I was very thankful to know the one who was in charge of the situation. And that's exactly what we're going to be looking at today with the story of Daniel. We're going to see him be shocked. We're going to see some fear happen, but then him also be comforted because he knows the one who is in Charts. Now I want to give you a little context to where we're going. We're going to be in Daniel chapter 7 this week, which is where we kind of switch from the VeggieTale stories into what we call apocalyptic literature. So there's going to be no more Shadrach, Meshach, and a billy Goat. There's going to be no more stories and narratives of Daniel's life. We're actually going to be looking at what we call end times or apocalyptic Literature, And this, is, this simply means that it's going to give us a picture uh, and some imagery about what is to come. So it's kind of spiritual writing about what's going to be happening in the future. Now, even though this is Daniel chapter 7, the timeline kind of begins to get weird toward the end of Daniel. So chapter 7 chronologically actually happens between chapter 4 and chapter 5. So if you've been here for our series so far, that is between whenever King Nebuchadnezzar had the crazy dream and he turned into this that you're seeing on the screen, kind of Wolverine, Falcon thing, and just did his own kind of crazy stuff and eventually came back to the Lord. It's between that and whenever Daniel was talking to King Belshazzar with the writing on the wall. So it happened about 555, 556 BC, but this is happening between Daniel 4 and Daniel 5, even though it's around in Daniel chapter 7. I know it's confusing, but the timeline's really not that important. What's important is who Daniel is and what he actually sees in this vision. Now I want to recap and remind you of who Daniel is. And if this is your first time, this will catch you back up with everything. If you're watching online and you've kind of been keeping up with us so far, this will be just a refresher. And if you're at the beach and enjoying yourself, continue to enjoy yourself, but try to catch up on what we're talking about today. So Daniel and his friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and a lot of other Jews were kidnapped by a nation called Babylon, And the way Babylon would kind of take over a nation is they would actually kidnap the best and the brightest and they would tear down and burn down all the cities. And they would take those best and brightest back to their own capital. So King Nebuchadnezzar kidnapped all these great and smart guys, including Daniel and his friends, and would take them back to the capital. And he would seek to indoctrinate them, to actually wipe away the Jewish culture by making them think like, act like, eat like, and ultimately become like the Babylonians. But what we've seen through the story of Daniel chapter one through six, that instead of being indoctrinated by that actual culture, Daniel actually infiltrated it and he actually influenced it for God. And that gives us a picture of actually what we're called to do as followers of Jesus. We're not called to hate our culture or fight against our culture. Now we're called to not be indoctrinated by it, but we're called to infiltrate it, to love people and influence it for the sake of Jesus. And the reason why Daniel was able to do this is he had such confidence in God, he was able to respond in courage, no matter the chaos that was around him. And that's kind of our bottom line for this series, is we believe that if we're followers of Jesus, we can have courage because of our confidence in God, no matter what chaos we face, whether that's political chaos, whether that is COVID chaos, whether that is we can't figure out where to eat on vacation chaos, whether it's we can't decide where the next 18 holes are going to be, or no matter what it is, we can have courage because of our confidence in God. And today we're going to be looking at a dream that Daniel has. and Like I said earlier, it's going to shock him and then he's going to find comfort. And this is actually the first dream in the book of Daniel that Daniel himself It's not the first dream of the book of Daniel because Daniel's been interpreting other people's dreams. Well, today God is speaking directly to him. And for all of you nerds out there who care about languages and all the details and stuff, this was actually written in Aramaic where the first kind of part of the book was actually written in Hebrew. And the reason for this is Daniel had it written down in Aramaic, whoever wrote the book of Daniel, to make sure everyone of that time frame would be able to to read it and in turn hear the message God had for them. So today, we're jumping into dreams, we're jumping into visions, it's gonna be weird, it's gonna be scary, it's gonna be apocalyptic. Now, I do wanna say before we dive into the apocalyptic literature, which starts today and finishes out our whole entire series. Guys, this is not all about trying to predict the end times, figure out the end times find out who the Antichrist is, whether he's a Republican or a Democrat. It's not about trying to figure out all of these nations. That's not the purpose of this imagery and of this prophecy and even of this type of literature. It is to elicit an emotional response that in turn turns into a spiritual response of us leaning in to God. It's to cause us to have comfort knowing no matter what happens, no matter what these images represent, we remember that God is in control. So the who's and all that kind of stuff, really not that important. The why's and the how's really not that important. What is important is the what, that God is absolutely in control. And we're going to have fun looking at prophecies. We're going to have fun looking at the details. We're going to have fun thinking about Antichrist and all that kind of stuff. Read all the Left Behind series you want to. Um, I think there's been a run on it at the library lately, but that's not the point. The point is God is in control and we can have confidence in him. So let's dive into Daniel chapter 7, starting in verse 1, and we'll read through verse 7. It says, In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream, and the visions passed through his mind as he was lying in bed. And he wrote down the substance of his dream. Daniel said, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me were four winds of heaven churning up the great sea. And four great beasts, each different from the others, came out of the sea. The first was like a lion, And it had wings of an eagle, and I watched it until its wings were torn off, and it was lifted from the ground so that it stood on two feet like a human being, and the mind of a human was given to it. And then before me there was a second beast which looked like a bear. It was raised up on one of its sides, and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth, and it was told, Get up and eat your fill of flesh. And after that I looked, and there before me was another beast, one that looked like a leopard. And on its back, it had four wings like those of a bird. And the beast had four heads. And it was given authority to rule. And then after that, in my vision at night, I looked. And there before me was a fourth beast. Terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth. It crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. And it was different from all the other former beast. It had 10 horns. I told you there was going to be a little bit of shock and a little bit of fear. Like what? I mean, I have nightmares all the time, but I don't have dreams like that. And apparently it kind of shocked and troubled Daniel. We see this in verse 15. I, Daniel, was troubled in spirit and the visions that passed through my mind disturbed me. They disturbed me. And what we see in this vision, what we see with these four beasts, is this is very similar to also visions that God would give the Apostle John in Revelation chapter 13. We see that fear-based beast. We see them coming out of the sea, kind of representing chaos and all this kind of stuff. And needless to say, they are to show us and warn us, this is scary. This is real. But let's be honest. We're not trying to figure out whether or not the beasts in this passage are scary. I mean, you could tell a toddler that and they'd be like, yeah, that is absolutely scary. What we want to know is, what are these beasts? Who do they represent? What are they here to do? How do they affect me? And Daniel shares with us in verse 17 through the interpretation of the dream. It says, the four great beasts are the four kings that will rise from the earth. And just for the record, in this time, kings, kingdoms, dynasties were all kind of used um, interchangeably. What these four beast guys, represent are the kingdoms of the world. The kingdoms of the world. These four beasts represent what's happening in our world. Now, if you've been here for the um, kind of saga of Daniel so far, this might sound a little familiar to a dream that King Nebuchadnezzar, or Nebi for short, had back in Daniel chapter 2. He saw this statue that had four distinct areas that we saw that represented four different nations. It's a lot like this dream, just a little more kid-friendly. There's no gnashing of teeth and no bones and flesh or anything. But what we see the difference between Daniel chapter 2 and Daniel chapter 7, Nebuchadnezzar's dream and Daniel's dream, is that Nebuchadnezzar was seeing <clears throat> his dream and seeing these kingdoms from an earthly view, kind of from a human-type perspective. And what we're going to see as we dive into Daniel's story is that he sees the same kingdoms from a spiritual or a divine perspective. He sees it from a way that begins to represent what is truly happening in our world and how does our enemy use the kingdoms of the world. So I want to walk back through each of these beasts and see, one, what could they possibly be representing? But again, what does it mean? Not necessarily who they are, and we'll have fun kind of guessing, but what matters isn't who they are, but what they represent. So look back at Daniel chapter 7, verse 4. Look at the lion and the eagle. It says, The first one was like a lion, and it had the wings of an eagle. And I watched until its wings were torn off, and it was lifted from the ground so that it stood on two feet like a human being, and the mind of a human was given to it." What we see in this, and many scholars believe this, as do I, even though I'm not a scholar whatsoever, that this represents King Nebuchadnezzar and the nation of Babylon, the dynasty of Babylon, because many times in Scripture, you can see it in Ezekiel chapter 17 in different places, that Babylon was referenced as a lion or as an eagle. And if you were here for Daniel chapter 4, we saw King Nebuchadnezzar have his wings plucked off, not literally, but metaphorically, at his kingdom ripped away from him until he recognized and repented and saw who God truly was. And then God allowed him to stand back up on his two feet and gave him his right mind. So we see that this beast of Babylon wasn't just a king who went crazy, but it was potentially a tool by the enemy that was fierce and that was kind of crazy. And then it gets a little bit worse in Daniel chapter 7, verse 5. We see the bear. It says, And there before me was a second beast, which looked like a bear. It was raised up on one of its sides, and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And it was told, get up and eat your fill of flesh. Now, what what Daniel wants us to see or what the vision is showing us here is that this bear is more ferocious than the first beast. It could potentially be eating on it. We really don't know. It's eating something that represents nations and other kingdoms, and a lot of people think this could potentially mean the Medes or maybe the Medos and the Persians together. Again, it doesn't really matter. What we see is the ferociousness of the bear with the ribs and the flesh in its mouth, which kind of reminds me of what I'm going to be doing on July 4th at a barbecue, but that's kind of beside the point. What we see is it continually is getting more and more terrifying and more and more fierce, And it keeps getting worse in verse 6. This is what I call the leopard 4x4, the leopard 4-wheel drive. It says, After that I looked, and there before me was another beast, one that looked like a leopard. And on its back it had four wings, like those of a bird. And this beast had four heads, and it was given authority to rule. One, have you noticed that most of these beasts are cats? It just shows again that cats are evil. But that's beside the point. This is what a lot of people believe could represent the nation or the empire of Greece. Again, doesn't really matter. What's important is we see the continual escalation of the beast, the continual escalation of evil, the continual escalation of fear, the horrific nature of it, and the ferocity of what is going on. And it all kind of comes together in Daniel chapter 7, verse 7, where we see the horned. Beast. This is crazy. After that, in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was a fourth beast. Terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth. It crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was different from all the former beasts. And it had ten horns. Again, we see it continually getting crazier and crazier and crazier. And this one is not just the most ferocious beast of the four. This will be the most ferocious thing to ever walk on the face of the planet. Look at the explanation in verse 23. Since says, he gave me this explanation. The fourth beast is a fourth kingdom that will appear on the earth. It will be different from all the other kingdoms. And it will devour the whole earth, trampling it down and crushing it. Holy cow. Like if you can imagine all the dynasties we've seen, of this world they pale a comparison to this fourth beast now a lot of people like to liken it to rome because of the iron but this beast is so much bigger than just the empire of rome we see the teeth we see the beast we see the horns we see the ten different kingdoms it represents it is the most ferocious and evil thing the world has seen and really what we want to see through this vision what daniel will want us to understand is that the kingdoms of the world are going to be here they're going to rise but they're also gonna fall. Many will attack each other and defeat each other, but ultimately there is another kingdom that is coming that will defeat all the earthly kingdoms and actually use it to its advantage. Look at, look at verse eight. It says, while I was thinking about the horns, there before me was another horn, a little one, which came up among them, and three of the first horns were uprooted before it, and this horn had eyes like the eyes of a human and mouth that spoke vote, spoke boastfully. Look at verse 24. The ten horns are the ten kings who will come from this kingdom, and after them another king will rise, different from all the earlier ones. He will subdue the three kings. He will speak against the Most High and oppress His holy people and try to change the set times and the laws. The holy people will be delivered into His hands for a time, times and time and a half. And what we see here is we're moving beyond just the kingdoms of the world. Guys, we're actually moving here into the kingdom of Satan, to the kingdom of our enemy. And if you're taking notes and I'm not, I want you to hear me very, very very clearly, guys. The kingdom of Satan is very real, and it seeks to attack the kingdom and the people of God. Guys, I want you to hear me very clearly. The devil is Real. And a lot of people will use science to kind of combat this and say, what, there's no scientific proof that the devil is real. Maybe science points there might be a creator, but there's no proof scientifically that there is a devil. And guys, we're never going to argue there has to be scientific proof to be a devil. There's actually a really smart guy named John Lennox who wrote a total book about that. And this is one that both Kevin and I Um, highly, highly recommend. It's Can Science Explain Everything by John Lennox. So I'm not gonna go into why science would have to prove that there's a devil, but guys I want you to understand that he is real. and We see his working all around us and his tactic isn't to make himself big and known and be kinda over, over the top. His secret is to sneak around silently. Look at this quote by William Ramsey. It says, one of the most striking proofs of the personal existence of Satan is found in the fact that he has influenced the minds of multitudes in reference to his existence and doings as to make them believe he does not exist. The hardest enemy to defeat is the one you don't even know is there. And our enemy is smart, he's much smarter than me, much smarter than you, he's really good at what he does. And he's trying to distract us, he's trying to tell us lies, He's trying to push us into evil while not even revealing that he is there. But, guys, when we take a moment and look at the world around us, we see the effects of the kingdom of Satan. We see the attack on morality. We see the attack on sexuality. We see the attack on people groups. We see the attacks on political groups. We see, man, the, the killing, senseless killing of those around us. We see the senseless killing of unborn children. We see the genocide of people in different parts of the world just because of what color of skin they have. Guys, the devil is real and he is attacking not just the people of this world, but he is specifically attacking the kingdom of God and also the people of God. And guys, if this is not a wake-up call that we need in our time right now in the 21st century, I don't know what is. This was written 2,600 years ago and is as real today as it's ever been because we are in the time of the fourth kingdom. And we don't believe the devil is rising up and antichrist in this moment, but we need to be prepared for it. We don't know who these ten kingdoms are, but we know God will allow them to be raised up through the kingdom of Satan. He will allow a leader, an antichrist, to be risen up. And he will be a smooth talker he will be a leader of leaders. He will be one that offers all the answers to what people need. He will give people everything they need. At first, he will seem to be a friend of the people of God. He will seem to be a friend of Israel. But before too long, he will begin to take over. He will begin to shut down all the other kingdoms. And he will seek to reign against Christ. And guys, all the while we see the people of God being attacked and war waged against us. We should be expecting there to be persecution. I mean, look at verse 21 again. As I watched, this horn was waging war against the people and defeating them. Guys, it, it should not, it should not dis- surprise us at all that the church is under attack. Jesus told us the world's going to hate you because it hated me first. And again, the whole point of this isn't to figure out who the Antichrist is. It's not Dr. Fauci and the COVID-19. I like guess not, we're not thinking, trying to figure out who it is. It's for us to be cautious and it's for us to be aware that our enemy is real. He's really good at what he does and we need to stick together. And what we see through the kingdom, the kingdom of the worlds and the kingdom of Satan is that the promise of destruction of God's people is absolutely real. Look back at verse 21 with me and I want to read from 21 to 22 because in this verse, if you're scared, if you're afraid, if you're shocked, just sit for a moment because comfort is coming. It says, as I watched this horn was waging war against the people of God and defeating them. We're going to get our tails handed to us. Look at this. Until, until the ancient of days, Like what a title. Until the Ancient of Days came and pronounced judgment in favor of the holy people of the Most High. And the time came when they possessed the kingdom. I love this. This is where we see the third and final kingdom show up. We have the kingdoms of the world, Babylon and all those crazy beasts. We have the kingdom of Satan who's attacking and obliterating. But guys, then we have the kingdom of God where we see the Ancient of Days is the one true judge in other words daddy shows up and whips some booty and like what what more appropriate day than father's day to be learning about this he finally has enough and guys I want you to hear this so clearly when all chaos is breaking loose when the people of God are at their absolute wits in when we think we can't go anymore that's when God shows up that's when he shows up and offers us peace through his judgment look at look at verse 9 this is describing what's happening. It says, As I looked, the thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. And the Ancient of Days is referring to our Heavenly Father, and it's talking about his eternity, I mean, what, kind of how he has always been. It says, His clothing was as white as snow, showing he was pure and he was righteous. The hair of his head was white like wool, which mine is soon to be that too, after a 10-month-old and dealing with all that craziness. It says, His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. But not just that. There was a river of fire flowing, coming out before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. And look at this. If you're good at math, you'll see how much it is. 10,000 times, 10,000 stood before him. And the court was seated, and the books were open. And look what happens next. Then I continued to watch. Because of the boastful words, the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. Guys, again, when all is in chaos, God shows up and he puts all to peace. He puts all to peace. And the way we see him put all to peace is guys, him truly defeating the beast. And you heard... How crazy the first three beasts were. That fourth beast with the ten horns and the last little horn and all that crazy. That was the most ferocious thing the world has ever seen. The most horrific thing that has ever walked the face of this planet. And God destroyed him. Even as the beast was running his mouth, boasting about his strength. God destroyed him and didn't even break a sweat. God destroyed the most powerful thing the world has ever seen without even breaking a sweat. And guys, that should wake us up to the power of of our God. That should wake us up to the power of the ancient of days. Guys, that he is in control. No matter what kingdom of the world is in charge, man, no matter how present the kingdom of Satan is in our world, guys, our God is in control. And this is what allowed Daniel to remain confident in the midst of chaos. This will allow Daniel to remain steadfast and remain faithful and follow the Lord because he remembered whether it is Nebuchadnezzar or Belshazzar or Darius or their fires or their lions or any of these things, he knew his God was in control. So I want to talk to you directly today. And if you're on a different window, you can come back because I want to be able to look you kind of in the face or at least you look at my face since I can't see you right now. I want you to hear me, guys no matter your current circumstances, no matter your sickness, no matter your poverty, no matter your betrayal, no matter your own bad decisions, no matter if it seems like our country is going further and further away from morality and the teachings of Jesus, no matter how bad life is, no matter how horrific your current circumstances are, God is in control. Even if you can't feel it, even if you can't see it. Guys, even if right now you can't believe it, know this, God is in control. And for Daniel, there were times where he couldn't see it. There were times where he had trouble believing it. But because he held on and knew his God was in control, God continued to give him courage. So no matter how present the kingdom of Satan feels, no matter how beat down by the beast you feel right now, remember the kingdom of God is at hand. He is in control. But what we see is that God just isn't in control, and not just the ancient of days is the one true judge. He actually is going to hand this kingdom off to someone special. Look at verse 13. Tis In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, Glory and sovereign power, all nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. Again, Christianity is not limited to English in America. It is global. Our God is a global God. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that never will be destroyed. What we see is the ancient days who is bigger and stronger and greater than anything else. It has all dominion of everything ever created. He gives it away, and he gives it away to this one like a son of man. Which means even if this person is human, he's not going to be destroyed. And we see he's human because he looks like a son of man. Even if he is human, he will reign. He will not be destroyed. He will not be defeated. But what we see this one that inherits the kingdom is not just identified as one looking like the son of man. It actually says he comes with the clouds. Now, you might be thinking, what in the world is this? Like, we've already talked about Satan and beast, and now we're talking about clouds. Like, what are we even looking at here? But this is specific imagery to show us who this Son of Man is. Look at Psalm 104, verse 3. It says, He, God, makes the clouds His chariot. Isaiah 19, 1. See, the Lord rides on a swift cloud. This shows us something incredibly important. Guys, the Son of Man isn't just a man. The Son of Man is the God man. He is God and a bod, as I like to say. Jesus is God's revelation of himself to us. And the reason why Jesus' favorite title in the Gospels was Son of Man, that's what he referred to himself as more than anything else, is he wanted us to see that God the Father was handing over dominion of this world to him. And if you're a language nerd like I am, even in the original verbiage and language here, all the pronouns and all the verbiage points to the Son of Man in the ancient days being one. It points to them as being the same, which is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And what we see in this, in this passage, guys, is the kingdom of God the ancient days is the one true judge, but what we see is the Son of Man, Jesus Christ reigns supreme. The Son of Man, Jesus Christ, reigns supreme. And the reason why we know this is something that Daniel didn't know. He saw it in the vision, and he believed it to be true, but it hadn't happened yet. Because we're able to look back and see the kingdom be handed over to Jesus whenever he came He lived a perfect life that we could not live. He died on the cross to pay for the full wrath of God. That judgment that God rained down on the kingdom of Satan, we deserve that. But we're not going to be called guilty because of what Jesus did on the cross. And he secured his victory and took the glory and the sovereignty of the dominion whenever he walked out of the grave. The resurrection is where Jesus received the glory and the dominion and the sovereignty of God. And at that moment, the kingdom of God wasn't just the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God became the kingdom of Christ, the one who reigns supreme. Again, showing our heavenly Father has always been in control and always will be no matter what political party is in control, no matter what's happening in your marriage, He is in control. And and I, I know what you're thinking because I'm thinking this too. Okay, well, it really doesn't feel a whole lot like it, right? Like, what in the world is this supposed to mean to me? Beasts getting destroyed? Yay, I can watch superhero movies and see that. Did Son of Man coming? Great, that, that's super exciting. But, but what in the world does this mean for me? How does this change my thinking and my life in the here and the now? I'm so glad you asked that question because the best part we haven't even read yet. Look at, look at verse 18. But the holy people of the Most High will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever and ever. Yes, forever and ever. Look at verse 27. Then the sovereignty, the power, and the greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be handed over to who? To the holy people of the Most High. And His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all rulers will worship and obey Him. Which means, guys, when Jesus came out of that tomb... He didn't come out alone. He came to not just run and inherit the kingdom of God. He came to bring us with Him because we inherit it too. Because, guys, the kingdom of God is inherited by the holy people of God. And the holy people of God here are simply what we call the saints. Not not the New Orleans saints. Some of them, I pray, will one day receive the kingdom of God. But the saints, the holy people of God, are simply this those who believe in the Heavenly Father through His Son, Jesus Christ. We believe that Jesus came. He lived. He died. And He rose from the dead. And we say yes to following Him. That's who the holy people of God are. They're not just priests. They're not just preachers. Lord, thank you for that. And they're not just the churchy people. They are people who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. And if that is you, hear me so clear. All that sovereignty, that river of fire, that glory, those angels, all that dominion, guys, is ours. Because Christ died on the cross and rose from the dead, we are no longer just spectators. We are participants in the glory of God. We are participants in the dominion and the kingdom forever. So even when we feel beat down, guys, we can have courage because God is in control and wants us to be a part of His kingdom through Jesus. Because we are literally co-heirs with Christ. That, that is what we hold on to when we are de- being defeated by the beast. That is what we're holding on to whenever it seems like everything in our world is attacking us. That is what we hold on to when we feel like there is no hope. Because God gave this vision to Daniel to give it to his people and in turn give it to us to give us comfort in the worst of circumstances. Because the things of this world are shocking. The the, the things of this world are dangerous. They're horrific. They're frightening. They'll make us forget that God is is there. But what we have to remember is we have comfort because our God is in control. So no matter how strong the beast seems guys, God is in control. And whether this attack is corporate, I mean like things of this world, like sickness of COVID, I mean whether you're being attacked by that, whether it's the attack of the church and our belief in Christ and our belief in sanctity of life and our belief in the innate I mean, worth of people because they're made in God's image. Whether it's an attack on morality, whether it's the loss of rights because you believe a certain thing, or whether it's just because you can blatantly see evil running rampant, our God is in control. But even if those attacks feel personal, maybe it's a personal beast of sickness, maybe it's the beast of anxiety, the beast of relational issues, the beast of depression. The beast of your kids just wear you out. It's not just because they're bad kids, but they're tied up in bad things and they are draining your spirit and your soul dry. Maybe it's the beast of addictions. Maybe it's the beast of a spouse. That you're just not quite the same as you used to be. Maybe there's betrayal. Maybe there's lies. Maybe there's something else going on. Guys, no matter want you hear me, no matter how strong the beast seems in your life. God is in control. Even when we don't see it, even when we don't feel it, we consistently see He is on the throne and He alone is in control. And I want you to hear this. This is the prophecy that we really need to hang on to and hold on to from this passage. It's not who the beast are. It's not who the Antichrist is. It's this, that when Jesus returns on the clouds, He will be given all dominion, All glory and all power along with us. So no matter how unworthy you feel in the world today, no matter how beat down you feel, maybe you feel more like a pauper than you do a prince, maybe you feel like more rags than you do riches, guys hold fast, hold steady. Our king is coming and with him comes victory, with him comes glory, and with him comes love. That is what the prophecy of this chapter means. So it started off with shock and it ends with comfort, knowing God is in control. But if you go on to read verse 28, you see something incredible. Daniel doesn't just walk away from his dream being comforted that God is in control. It actually says he, he wakes up and is troubled because of things in his dream. Now, at first, I think he's just troubled because of all the crazy beasts, and that's part of it. But he knew they would be defeated, so why, why does he awaken heartbroken? Because he has a heart for people. And he knows there will be people who don't fear God, who don't follow him, that will be destroyed by the evil one, and in turn, live eternity separated from God because they did not decide to follow Jesus. His heart is broken for those saints whose life will be lost as followers of Jesus, guys. He is burdened. He is burdened by the message of the hope that God offers us. And really, we should be too. So even though the story starts with shock and gives us comfort in the midst of the beast attacking us, it should also push us out of our comfort zone. It should give us a burden to go and to share the message of Jesus. And here at the chapel, guys, that starts with what we've said millions of times. Pray, invest, invite. Begin praying for those around you if you're a follower of Christ. Begin investing in their life, loving them in a way which our culture is not doing right now. And it will make a difference. It will build trust. It will build influence for one day you're able to invite them. We say to the next right thing, which could be to follow Jesus, which could be to church, it could be to dinner, it could be to your small group. Because if we're truly followers of Christ, this passage should give us incredible hope. It should give us incredible, solid foundations to stand on when the world feels like it's shaking all around. But man, it should light a fire in our heart that we have the message of hope and we need to share before all of this happens. The King is coming, which means it's time to get busy. And if you're a follower of Christ, that means taking the step and sharing your story. Now if you're not a follower of Jesus and maybe this is your first time to ever come to church online, your first time to hear something crazy like this, I know this message just seems whack. We're talking about horns and four-headed leopards and, and all that kind of stuff. Again, all this is imagery to tell us that our world is full of evil and, and there is one trying to destroy everything and most of us can look around and see that. But the point of the story isn't just that the world is evil but there is hope in a savior in his name is Jesus. So if you feel overwhelmed by your guilt, overwhelmed by your shame, and you're ready to inherit the kingdom of God, I want to invite you to do that today. And it's just simply saying, Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you died for me and rose from the dead. Today, I choose to follow you. I want the hope that Daniel had. And if you're ready to do this, you can head to chapelbrcom slash yes. There'll be a message from Pastor Kevin there. There'll be some resources you can look at. There's also a form that you can let us know you made that decision. And we will reach out to you. So if you're not a follower of Jesus, your step is to begin to engage. And your first step might be to pick up this book by John Lennox and begin to engage on what it looks like to believe in spiritual things. Or maybe your next step is to follow him. But if you're a follower of Jesus, our job is pretty simple. Hold fast. Hold steady. Our king is coming. So let's get busy. Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you for Jesus. And God, we thank you for this weird, crazy story of a vision that this guy got over 2,600 years ago. But God, we thank you not because of just Daniel and not just because of the story, but because of the truth that it entails. That no matter what evil we face, no matter what heartbreak we encounter, God, you're in control. And Lord, I'm I'm just going to be honest, and maybe this is where people that are listening and watching are at too, Father, that sometimes I don't believe that. Sometimes I don't even know if I want to believe it. So God, I'm praying today, help my unbelief. Father, let me believe no matter how hard the attack of the beast is in my life, that I will believe in you. And I believe that you're in control. And God, I pray the same thing over our people today. Father, we love you. And we thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us. To find out more about the chapel, visit thechapelbr.com.